We're joined today by Andy Blow. Um, he's the co-founder of Precision Hydration, also sports scientist and ex-elite triathlete. Andy, how are we doing? Good, Luke. Good. All things considered, as we say at the moment. <laughs> of course, of course. It is a, uh, it is a weird time, but um, we still persevere and uh, time still goes on, obviously, with uh, yourselves at Precision Hydration. I'm sure nothing stopped no, it's um, it's been it's been an interesting few months for everyone. Well, getting on for a year now, but um, yeah, one thing is we're mostly endurance athletes at at PH, so we mm-hmm. we practice social distancing by default most of the time, <laughs> like getting out getting out on our own in the away from masses of people. So yeah, <laughs> got got to take the positives. Of course, of course, we've been doing that for many years, running long distances away from people. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's talk a bit more about precision hydration. Um, what does the company specialize in and how did it start? So we, we specialize in electrolyte um, drinks or products for people in different strengths. And the reason we do that is because as, a, as an athlete and as a sports scientist, I learn basically the hard way that if you don't get your electrolyte and hydration balance right when you're doing very long events, it can all unravel. So, and hydration is one of those areas where there's been, there's a lot of products in the market. There's a lot of advice out there, but a lot of it's contradictory. A lot of it's, um, you know, a lot of it's confusing Mm -hmm. for people. And, you know, I went through this journey as an athlete, basically getting hydration very wrong by following lots of different types of advice and ultimately learning that I needed to kind of get that personalized for me. And, Mm -hmm. and then subsequently after, after stopping competing and and stuff thought, well, if this was so useful for me as an athlete, because it was like night and day when I got this right, it was, it was then, okay, well, this is a use, this is a useful service for other people. So we started off, you know, just, just with that in mind that if it worked for me, it might work for, for some other people and it kind of grew from there. For sure. And I think that's how we've seen a lot of businesses in the endurance sports world start. Um, the person who started it has been an ex-athlete or taken part in endurance sports. And then they found something either that they really loved or that there was a gap in the market for. And they've taken off with that. Um, it's obviously the same for yourself. Um and Precision Hydration, you guys do a, a really good thing about actually testing people's sweat. Yeah, that was that was because that was the sort of that was the breakthrough thing for me when I I was doing Ironman competitions was my kind of main thing at the time when I learned about this and you know when you do Ironman you're sweating for eight nine ten hours whatever it is or more it's a it's a it's a long day out and um, and I I was finding that um, I was having all these symptoms like getting cramps and getting really fatigued towards the end of the bike and on the run and feeling horrendous and basically like underperforming dramatically Mm -hmm. to where in a race in races in the heat when compared to what my fitness level indicated I ought to be able to do. And a a perceptive friend of mine who is a doctor, actually a cardiac surgeon, a guy called Dr. Raj Jutley, I talked Mm -hmm. over the problems with him and he said, look, I think, looking at you because he'd seen some photos of me at races with and I'm one of those guys when I finish a race I've got white marks on my kit and in my hat and stuff and he said I think you're losing a lot of salt and I said well you know I take electrolytes and he's like yeah yeah, but you really might be losing a lot because different people lose different amounts so that got me really interested I was like well how different and he said well get sweat test so I I got tested um, at the time at a hospital with a a sweat test which is used for a clinical application and it told me that I was losing 
about um, double two two to two and a half times the amount of salt in my sweat that the average person was losing. I also had a mm. really high sweat rate, and what I was actually replacing in my my drinks was a minuscule amount compared to what I was losing. And so I was getting all these problems. One um, particular one that some athletes will be familiar with is called hypernatremia, where you dilute the electrolyte levels in your blood and can make you really quite ill. And and Dr. Jutley very simply said to me, look, based on what you're losing, I think we need to be way more aggressive with your electrolyte intake. And I think it will make a big difference. And it's one of those few things which there's rare things that happen in sport because as athletes we're often looking for like things that change the game and there's not many of them out there really if we're honest you know like the the, the nike vaporfly running shoe is maybe one that sort of has changed the game in recent years but for years before that people were talking about revolutionary new running shoes but it wasn't actually moving the needle um, but for me as an individual when i got this electrolyte balance issue sorted out it was like night and day i could compete in longer and hotter races at the level i wanted to almost and it was just such a game changer and and that sort of set me on this path of like investigating why that was and were there more people out there like me and and so on and so forth so it was um yeah it's pretty pretty interesting time yeah definitely i think um if you've watched any kind of long distance endurance events you've over the course of time you've seen some people struggle massively with cramp um football games you're seeing people going down with cramp it is one of those things that is surprisingly quite prevalent at the top end of sport um the one thing i do like that ph do you have um different grades of your electrolytes um so for people who sweat more or sweat less or certain times, obviously they can take the different grades. Um, yeah. It's quite different to a lot of other companies where they just have a one product or maybe a couple of products that um, have hydration. How did you come upon having those different levels then? Was it after doing testing, after doing some research, finding those? Yeah, 100%. We we looked at the – because initially we – the, the, the way we set the company up was to do sweat testing. So we were going to do the test that I had done on myself to, to, to go out to athletes and help them understand what they were losing in their sweat with a view to then making a recommendation for the best hydration products that were on the market for them. Mm-hmm. So we never intended to get into the, the idea of making drinks and things like that. We thought there were plenty of people doing that. Yeah. Um, but what became evident fairly quickly was that most sports drinks and most electrolyte replacement drinks kind of shot for the middle ground or actually a little bit low strength for a lot of people because you know you start putting lots of salt and sodium in drinks they become quite unpalatable and also sodium and salt has kind of a bit of a it has a bad name in in the nutritional world it's seen as something unhealthy because for most people they want to reduce salt not increase mm-hmm. it so we actually, again, with Dr. Jutley sat down and said, right, okay, well, based on the results that we're getting in testing, people, so, so to calibrate your thinking, when we talk about sweat, obviously people appreciate you sweat at a certain rate, and that's usually measured in liters per hour. And you might, if you're a very low, if you have a low rate of sweating, you might sweat half a liter an hour or less. If you have a really high sweat rate, you can sweat two or even three liters an hour. And I'm up at that sort of like two liters an hour type mark when Mm. i'm working hard in the heat but then what's in that sweat the concentration of sodium in it can vary dramatically so for some people they'll lose as little as 200 milligrams of sodium in a liter of sweat and some people can lose as much as 2000 and i'm right up there near that 
sort of 2000 end. And the, the common sports drink replaces at a rate of about four or 500 milligrams of sodium per liter. So it's, it's like if, if it was, we, we always use this analogy, like if it was a t-shirt, the, the, the sports drink industry sells everyone a size sort of small medium. Um, and actually what we did was we, we said, right, we're going to make a small, a medium, a large and an extra large. And, and the strongest drink that we make has 1500 milligrams of sodium per liter. So it, it's very strong. It's more like, if for people in, in the UK, it's more like a Dioralite strength, you know, like a medical rehydration product. Or if you're in the US, it's like Pedialyte, that sort of strength. Yeah. And what we, what we found pretty quickly is that when we started testing people is that the average sodium loss in sweat is closer to 1,000 than 500 milligrams a litre. So when you're doing long, hot endurance events, if you want to get anywhere near replacing what you're losing – you need quite a bit of a, a quite a stronger drink and so mm -hmm. you know over the years the testing has helped people to identify that and then the products that that we do the thousand milligram one the 1500 milligram one in particular have become really popular with people who have like hydration problems people who are doing long hot events or people who are yeah. doing lots of training on back-to-back -back days and, and losing a lot of sweat for sure um uh, but i know we've mentioned a lot of longer events a lot of endurance events but um <coughs> Like products are also very useful for people doing even shorter events, um, like 5K, 10Ks, um, even other events that you wouldn't kind of really associate this kind of stuff with. Obviously, I see PH uh, associate with people for in motorsport as well, um, because obviously they're going to be sweating a lot doing those kind of things. Um, how does it affect like the shorter events? Are they? Um, is it one of the lower grades, or does it still based on your sweat? Yeah, good question. I think for the majority of the time, during shorter events, there's mm -hmm. very little need for hydration during the event itself. So mm -hmm. what what we focus on with those people is delivering them to the start line optimally hydrated. And that that's actually where one of the strongest products comes in useful. Because if you mm -hmm. talk to an athlete most of the time, and I was very guilty of this when I was training and competing, was tell an athlete to turn up to something well hydrated and what what they do is drink tons of water in the days building up and especially on the morning of the event they're smashing back bottles of water and um it's it just it overwhelms the body because you actually do more harm than good you dilute salts in your body and you don't actually achieve much better hydration you just flush electrolytes through your system so if you're running a 5 or 10k for instance one of the best ways you could use an electrolyte drink is to use a really strong one like our, our one's called ph 1500 and you have a bit of that only a small amount sort of you know 250 to 500 mils an hour or so before but you don't just drink loads and loads of extra water. You just have that strong dose and the extra electrolytes pull the fluid into your bloodstream and boost it. And it's the same with motorsport. You know, we, we work with F1 drivers and, and MotoGP riders and superbike yeah. riders. And they're often in hot countries sweating a lot. You know, day-to-day -day hydration's a challenge. Then they've got to be right on point for their event, which is only, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, maybe an hour and a half, two hours if it's a longer one. So... Mm. They can't get super, super dehydrated during that time, but but they need to start optimally hydrated, which means, you know, having that strong electrolyte drink before they start and maybe then using it to recover as well afterwards. Yeah. And I think that's a really un underappreciated use of these sort of products. No, definitely. And um, I'd like to delve a bit more into the after effects because um, obviously after you're doing an event, there's a lot of 
you need to do your recovery. You need to get yourself back to an optimum level. I'm guessing hydration has a similar thing for you. Like you were saying, you were losing double the amount um, and then you are finding it hard to replace it while doing your triathlon event. Um, but obviously, after an event, are people looking to replace double the amount? Uh, what is kind of a, an average, what you would say for people? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a question which probably needs to be answered in in terms of like relative to the event or relative to the session. And one of the, more specific than I've just said. So, <laughs> but one of the one of the one of the trickiest things when you're training as an endurance athlete is the fact that mm-hmm. most what any one individual session that you do will will not normally be enough to significantly deplete your body. I mean, maybe on occasion we do go out and do some really long sessions. Like I used to when I was training for Ironman once. Once every couple of weeks, I'd go out and do a five or six hour session, either on the bike or a combination of biking and running. And that kind of length of session can deplete you in and of itself. You, know, you can get pretty dehydrated if it's warm or if you don't get it right. But but let's be honest, most endurance athletes, let's say we train between like 30 minutes and an hour and a half is kind of a really standard window for sessions. So when you, if you get, let's, let's take, for example, you're training hard in the summer and you go out and do an hour's run one day. Now you might get a little bit dehydrated, a little bit electrolyte depleted doing that, but you can kind of cope with that. And, and, but then you go out the next day and you do it again and next day and you get this kind of stepwise depletion. You get this knock on effect of accumulation, exactly. And what, one thing that we find in, you know, and recovery is obviously far more than just getting your hydration back together. But what, what we find is, especially in warmer weather, especially when people increase their training loads, is if you don't think about the hydration and electrolyte replacement in your recovery is that depletion can creep up on you. And I definitely used to find that in a, in a hot British summer when I was training really, really hard. If yeah. I didn't um, add salt to my food or like, take extra electrolytes in my drinks, I could end up in a bit of a mess by the end of a hard week. And I never really mm-hmm. understood why that was because I used to get low blood pressure. I used to get dizzy standing up and feel really fatigued. And, and actually, when I look back, I used to crave a lot of salt. But at the time, you were sort of a bit hesitant to over-salt your food and everything because you were told it was yeah. healthy. And so so the idea of having a strong electrolyte drink as part of your recovery from harder sessions is mm. to just help you you know, get back on top so you can go again the next day. And it's also – there will be, I guess, people who are listening to this who are training twice a day. And I would say it's really important to – as well as looking at other aspects of your recovery to look at that maximal rehydration after the first yeah. session of the day, because otherwise you start the second session on the back foot. Of course. And um, obviously with a dehydration um, and kind of that recovery aspect, from my point of view, I do obstacle course racing. We've got to do a lot of on on your feet thinking, a bit of mental game by coming up to the obstacle picking the technique I'm going to use to take part on that obstacle to get past it. Um, does it affect, obviously, your your thinking when you're dehydrated? Would that have a big effect on you? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that dehydration and or electrolyte depletion definitely affects your cognition, your reaction time, your, your thinking. We've, we've had reports from a lot of ultra runners who say yeah. that, one sign that they get when they're starting to get sort of depleted sodium depleted dehydrated is they'll stumble and trip a lot more they won't pick their feet up as nimbly and things like that and and all of that is is i i definitely can you know it, it can be taken that in one sense that that's 
maybe just to do with general fatigue, same as it would be in an OCR race. You know, you're obviously, after you've been racing for an hour and you hit a massive wall to climb or a massive, you know, cargo net or something like that, it's not as easy as it was in the first five minutes. But if you are specifically, you know, getting dehydrated and and sodium depleted, you can definitely, it slows down your functioning. So it's kind of, it's kind of up there, especially on hot days, I would say it's up there or even surpasses you need to take in, carbohydrates mm. to maintain your energy you know the, the fluid the fluid electrolytes and carbohydrates that's what we at ph that's what we refer to as these like sort of three key levers of of endurance performances once you get deep into an endurance event you've got to know how much fluid you need how much sodium you need and how much carbohydrate you need per hour in mm. order to keep those levels topped up just enough to maintain your performance because any a drop in any one of those can yeah. result in a pretty catastrophic downturn yeah i bring that up because in um, the uk sometimes we have um spartan race events on a saturday and then there'll be another race on a sunday um so on a saturday um sometimes there's like half marathon distance which could take anything between two to three hours yeah. um, and then on the on the sunday you'll have a sprint distance which is around 10k with obstacles, you can take up to uh, one hour fifteen to one hour forty-five, um, and even at a greater level in Greece, they do the World Championship trifecta worlds, and you do the beast distance, you do the sprint distance, and the super distance across three days. So that's a lot of continued time, energy being expended, sweating a lot, especially if you're going to Greece. That's a hot, hot country. Yeah. Uh, yeah very, very interesting that you um, say that could have a bit of an effect on your mind especially when you're coming up to obstacles uh, there's a lot of upper body stuff you have to pick your technique correctly or you could fall off so yeah definitely something for the ocr listeners out there make sure you are hydrating correctly especially between those events which is always good um so precision hydration as a company obviously you've started here in the uk um yeah. How's it grown? Where where are you now? What what is happening in the company? Is it um, obviously this year, 2020, 2021, bit of a weird year for every company in the world. But um, I believe you guys have made it over to America as well, which is a quite a big market. Um, tell us about that process. How how's it been with Precision Hydration? Yeah, we as you say, we're we're UK focused initially and we the majority of the companies based here we have got someone um sean works um with us out in north america now we've got Mm. 10 people based here in the uk and a lot of um, manufacturing partners for our products and our hardware and stuff like that but we're based in dorset same as yourself um Mm. our hq is in uh, christchurch so another another big another big dorset export of course Um, we we started out so do it with because we we're focusing on sweat testing to begin with and hydration plans and stuff we got mm-hmm. we got an early sort of success story for us working with england rugby they were someone who got really interested in what we we're doing and we've done a lot with them over the years in terms of testing players and advising them on hydration strategies for especially when they've gone a- abroad to yeah. hot climates and, and so on and so forth and then that led us a bit into the world of professional soccer and um, as you mentioned, motorsport, we've done stuff in F1 because there's a big heat stress element there. And we've got a lot mm-hmm. of F1 drivers that use the products. We we just, um, in terms of getting into America, we were really fortunate at one point that um, I went across, I was invited to go and work with a team of scientists from Red Bull or 
team of people that have been pulled together by Red Bull. They have this phenomenal performance center in Santa Monica in California that looks after all of their crazy athletes. So everything from the cliff divers to the ultra runners and the triathletes and everything. And they took a bunch of their top performing ultra endurance athletes on a training camp. And one Mm -hmm. of the things they wanted to do was to use our sweat test and talk to the athletes about hydration. And so I went across and did this amazing trip for like 10, 12 days going up and down the coast of California, testing these athletes in different environments and at different altitudes. And we went right to the bottom in Death Valley where it was like, you know, 40 odd degrees Celsius. And then we went right up a mountain the next day, which was minus two. And it was, it was crazy. But, but on that trip was a great bunch of people. One of the guys there worked in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers, one of those teams, and he was mega interested. So he took the sweat testing into the Packers and then that led into other NFL teams. And then into we even tested um, people like um, LeBron James when he was playing at the, you know, at the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA and he was using our products while he was there. So right. we just kind of got this amazing traction into US pro sport and we still we still do a hell of a lot in the US now and it's it's been really cool because as an endurance athlete I had very a lot more before before getting into all of that I understood the endurance world a bit better cuz having been through the process myself but getting mm-hmm. insight into the, the team sports world and working with some of these these athletes and for them with endurance athletes, we're a, we're a very very focused bunch on like performance on race day because because you often push yourself way way harder and for a lot longer than you do in training. So you need to up your nutrition and hydration game on the day. With mm-hmm. team sport athletes, it's it's kind of different because an NFL game, no one's going to get dehydrated in an NFL game. They've got enough breaks to have water. They're changing the players all the time, but their training load through the summer training camp is huge. So that's that's where we came in and you know worked with some of their dietitians and sports scientists to inform them about the differences in sweat sodium between different players on the team where they should be putting emphasis on their who they should be giving extra electrolytes to who they didn't need to worry about so much that that sort of thing so it's been cool and it's allowed us to sort of like grow a, a, a small business into america as well and now we have a, a ton of customers over there so yeah it's been it's been really fortunate there you go. What an amazing journey from uh, from an idea to a fully fledged business across across the continent. There you go. Um, but that also shows that hydration is needed in all different sports, um, and it's just shown that, like you've talked about, NBA they can play like back to back nights three or four times a week sometimes, which is they have crazy schedules. Which compared to like um, UK focus sports, it's normally once or twice a week. Um, that they will play an actual match or even from the endurance sports you're looking at maybe what once or once every two months or every three months they're taking part in quite a big event so there's a lot of training but um, looking at it from like a beginner's point of view say I'm uh, just going to couch to 5k obviously hydration is needed in that respect as well for somebody uh, they want to get out running what is the kind of thing? How can they find out about hydration? Is there something on your website they can have a quick look at and find a bit more out about it? What's yeah, what we, they yeah, we've got loads of, of blogs about hydration, obviously, on our website. We've spent a lot of time over the years writing um, what we try to bridge the gap between um, just sort of marketing BS, if you know what I'm saying, in terms of what, what companies 
put out to just to sell products and the scientific literature that actually underpins useful knowledge in that area and and mm-hmm. and also a good dose of practical experience because we know that there's a lot to be learned from science and science has to underpin you know what you do from a nutrition and hydration point of view but science always lags a little bit behind what athletes are doing in practice and so on our website we've got lots of articles where we try and blend a bit of science a bit of anecdote a bit of practical experience into a an actual sort of recommendation and to your point about you know like novice athletes um 5k runners or whatever what i would say is like without without downplaying it Mm -hmm. i wouldn't want people like that to go away thinking that that hydration is like a it is a key hydration is a key component of human life but as long as you're drinking on a regular basis and drinking to the dictates of thirst and drinking predominantly water you know or or good quality drinks and not just drinking loads of caffeinated drinks loads of alcoholic drinks all the time then you're gonna you're gonna be getting your hydration like 95 percent, 99 percent right um, yeah. when you when you do start getting into sport though, when you start to up your training and things like that you'll obviously notice like you do with food and fuel you're going to need to pay a bit more attention to it and mm-hmm. when you start doing longer sessions and when you start wanting to not just run a 5k but run it a little bit faster that's when you're going to want to make sure yeah you turn up optimally hydrated and all those those things and that's when getting a bit more technical about it might be useful or important and if what i would say is that because everyone's situation is different one one initiative that we've got going on at the moment is we've got a great team based in dorset predominantly and and sean in canada who's who are available for one-to-one calls and you can book them for free and if you've got questions about hydration and what you're doing and that and how you might approach it from your situation then you can go to our website and book a free one-to-one call and that's not just for customers that's for anyone it's no obligation it's just a a free service and we found mm. that that's a fantastic way to to start to get people on the journey is to figuring out okay well is hydration something which is a real key to unlocking performance for me or is it just something that for now i don't need to worry too much about i can i can listen to my body and you know just be guided by that yeah so, what, a, what a great service to be offering people as well for for totally free which is uh pretty good um i think you're right like as people progress from that beginner stage, obviously everything seems to take on a bigger stage. You need to look more into nutrition, more into your hydration. You need to make sure that your the kit you're getting is up to standard of what you're looking to do. So it's yeah, they probably want to, as they progress through being a beginner and a little bit more, then they can start finding out a little bit more about the hydration needs as well. They may it may increase as their load increases over time. Yeah, 100%. Um, but no, um, an amazing uh, an amazing thing. Um, but Andy, you started off in triathlon and you started off in the endurance sport world. Let's hear a little bit about you and triathlon and an exterior world title. Yeah, well, um, triathlon was my... I got into triathlon quite early. Like I, I ran a bit as a kid. I played football like most of us do. In, you know, you grow up in, in the UK, you kind of can't help play football a bit. And I played that, but I think the classic comment that was made was that I was probably better at running without a ball at my feet than with, than with a ball at my feet. So I, I then did a bit of cross country and I went and did like, you know, the English schools cross country and the county championships mm-hmm. and things. And I was, I was very much there, like making up the numbers and not, not worrying anyone in the top 10. But I, I was, I don't know, I just got a taste for that endurance sport and you'll, you'll have had it, you know, that kind of, 
the, the sort of like the pain of the training and the dedication, but the progress that you make. And very early on, I don't know, I was a teenager and I just wanted to be an endurance athlete. You know, that's what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And then triathlon came along because my dad got me into a swim run event and there was triathletes with bikes there. And I thought that was really cool. And I, I um, he bought me a, a, a road bike, I think for 20 quid from my cousin and, I went off and just started smashing out 10 mile rides and 20 mile rides. And before you know it, you're watching Dave Scott and Mark Allen do the Ironman in Hawaii and thinking, wouldn't that be cool? And, and then, you know, it ruins the rest of your life because of how much money you spend on it. And <laughs> you're drawn into an yeah. expensive sport. Like, yeah. like but, but no, I love, I loved it. And I still love, even though I don't really do triathlon now, I still run and I swim and I do ride a bike and, Mm-hmm. you know i got really into triathlon for a few years i went to the university of bath when there was a really high performance triathlon set up there and i was in the sweet spot of that i was at times training with simon lessing and people who were going to the olympic games and that sort of thing i I wanted to do that but wasn't good enough and that's when i gravitated towards ironman and Terra. and mm-hmm. as you said i won my age group at the Terra world championships in the year 2000 and around the same time stepped up and did an Ironman and eventually got on the podium of a, a half Ironman 70.3 race and a few top 10s in Ironman and stuff so it was and, and I I probably got to the level of what you'd describe as like a either a really good amateur or a really bad pro because I was I won a little bit of money but it wasn't going to pay the mortgage so hence I had to have a job as well <laughs> I'm sure you had some great experiences, especially doing uh, the Xterra World Championships. Was was that in Hawaii? They, they yes. Still were, were yeah, yeah. It was in um, it was on Maui, and it was it was like a phenomenal trip. I went with um, a good friend of mine and um, a guy called Elliot Chalafor, who was um, fortunately we fell just the either side of the two younger age brackets, so he was like in the junior age bracket yeah. and I was in the the 20 whatever it would have been like the 20 to 24 age bracket and and he won his age group and I won my age group and it was just a great experience and you know going out there and racing up and down the vol- the old course that we used to do was like up and down the volcano and mm. yeah it was it was a magical magical experience it's a great place well there we go and also you said you got on a, a podium of a 70.3 um what, do you remember where that was yeah, was that was. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was at Sherbourne Castle in Dorset. Actually, it was. Um, I, I was third there, and it was. I had the race of my life. Basically, I beat a load of professional athletes, and you know that was where I qualified for the Hawaii Ironman, and just, just like, look back on that, and you know, that was at the time. What's interesting is it was obviously that was probably that year, and that race was probably where I really peaked as an athlete, mm-hmm. and at the time you kind of convince yourself that you just, that's just the start. You're just getting started. And actually, although it wasn't like a sharp downhill from there, I kind of got injured a bit after that and overtrained and did other stuff that, that meant that I didn't really ever feel like I had a, a great performance like that. But I remember that, that race really, really well, because as an athlete, you'll, you'll have had days like this and appreciate what I'm saying, but I just kind of everything came together. You know, when you just, it's a joy and you just feel great. And it's the, what is the reason that you train all those years and do all those hard sessions, all those hard races, and it doesn't quite work. And then that was the day when it, yeah, it came together. It's a beautiful feeling. Oh, well, give me some tips for a, a half Ironman then. I have signed up to the Weymouth Half Ironman this year. Still slightly worried. 
Uh, my my swimming is definitely not where it needs to be, but I can run and yeah. I can cycle. So, what, what's your tips for the half Ironman? What should I be watching out for, or anything? I reckon it's my. I reckon it was my favourite distance. So I think mm. you picked a good one. Um, I would say though, you got res- you've still got to respect the distance. It's a hard race. You can race pretty mm. hard over half Ironman if you fit, but you can also you can also spend your pennies on the bike quite easily and not leave enough for the run. And I, I think the way I used to approach a half Ironman was like the swim was just, yeah, my swimming wasn't my strength. It wasn't too bad, but I was always about like getting through the swim, seeing where I was at. And then, Mm -hmm. and then breaking the bike down into three chunks. And the first chunk was always like keeping it under control because you, 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 especially if you've not had a great swim, you, you're um in you sort of intention and you're you want to go hard and like make up some ground so i I reckon the first third of the bike rein yourself in get your Mm -hmm. nutrition and your hydration in and get your heart rate settled and like don't be too hard the middle third of the bike you got to consolidate and that's where it starts to get a bit harder and you start to sort of like settle and push a little bit and then the third part the last third of the ride is where you can like turn the screw a little bit because what will happen then is you'll really start to, you want to catch people early on, but actually I think where you want to start catching back up is like later on in the ride, because then you've expended less energy to do so because other people are really starting to pay for a fast start. And then on the run, it's, um, it's, it's definitely a case of like, you know, similar thing is like, don't go sprinting out of transition like a hero because everyone's cheering and, you know, feel like a legend. <laughs> just, just work your way into it. You know, take a bit of nutrition and hydration on. Don't neglect your your carbs and things in the first half. But then, mm-hmm. once you get to about, um, once you get into the second half of the run, it's time to really like spend the pennies that you've got left and and crank it out. And I think if you can get anywhere near to like an an even split on the run, so you're in the second half of the run mm-hmm. as fast as you're in the first half, in the last. 30 40 50 minutes you will be destroying people and it will be the most fun you've ever had so <laughs> okay well that's some good tips i'm definitely that's a nice way to break down the bike i think i'm going to use that i, I hadn't even thought about breaking down the bike yet i was just going to get on it and ride so i think <laughs> i need to think more about this <laughs> i've signed up because i wanted to do one for quite a while so um oh you picked a good one there's a few hills as well yeah, I don't mind hills too much. That's not too bad. Um, I did hear that the run was nice and flat on yeah. the promenade. So I'm looking forward to the run. Um, but talking about athletes and events, obviously you guys at Precision Hydration are teamed up with quite a few athletes in different sports. Um, is there any like sports that you've teamed up with an athlete in that you didn't know about before, you didn't really know too much about, and like there was something really cool about that sport is something maybe from motorsport or what was kind of like the one cool thing about teaming up with these athletes from all these different sports yeah that's a good one we we did a really interesting bunch of sweat testing in 2019 in anticipation Mm -hmm. i think of the tokyo 2020 olympics which obviously didn't happen or the, the paralympics with um people who were doing the equestrian events in the Paralympics. And that was very mm-hmm. cool because we went to a heat chamber at Bisham Abbey and learned a lot about, because I thought, how much sweating can these people really be doing? But then when you saw when you saw the clothing they had to wear and how long they were going to be out in the environment and stuff, and 
you know, in Tokyo was going to be so oppressive and humid, it became quite clear that actually having a bit of a strategy around what they were going to do hydration wise was quite important. And that was, that was really interesting. Um, one of the biggest ones, we've already talked about it a bit though for me, but, but was um, my introduction to the sort of um, American sports, you know, like the NFL, the NBA and things which were on my peripheral radar as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, growing up watching them on TV and stuff. But then I've been to, I watched um, the late now great Kobe Bryant playing basketball at Madison Square Garden and watched the amount of, like, took an interest. We were, we were working with um, actually the New York Knicks at that time, like looking mm-hmm. at sweat rates and things like that in their players and just learning how much these guys sweat. Like we had a guy that was sweating three litres an hour on the basketball court, who's like seven foot seven and, yeah, in practice, they had a guy following him around with a mop because other players were slipping over and hurting themselves on his sweat. You know, that's how much he was losing. Yeah. So I, just, I think it's just been that, that like broad access all areas to loads of it, bits of pro sport. It's just mm-hmm. been, I've been like a kid in a sweet shop at times. It's been fantastic. Yeah, I bet it's been amazing just to... Uh just to see those different people in different environments. And I think, oh, you just mentioned there that I obviously being ex- extremely tall basketball player, but um, I'm sure from a sweat point of view, you've seen um, there's tons of different like body shapes, taller people, like stronger people, skinnier people from like running backgrounds. But I'm sure you've seen like that. Maybe that's had a bit of an effect on them, a different or even where they grew up, where they're originally from and taking part in that sports did you see that being a different for different sports or is it mainly specifically more to the person doing a sport? I'd say it's more, yeah, it's definitely more individual to the person. You see people mm-hmm. who like are massive and play basketball or American football and who still really don't sweat a lot. And yet you see other massive guys who sweat loads and some of it's genetics. I think some of it's just um, a lot of it's metabolic rate. So what you know for instance you see really really high sweat rates in yeah. marathon runners and marathon runners as you all know are small guys they're like 55 kilos and stuff like that they but they're running if they're really elite they're running at faster than five minutes a mile for the majority of the race which is insane amount of heat production going on and mm. so they sweat two two and a half liters an hour in some cases so it's a combination i think of genetics and also the the intensity of the sport because obviously mm-hmm. the, like one one where I was amazed that was ice hockey goalkeepers because obviously you think it's cold in there on the ice mm-hmm. I've been to some ice hockey games and I've been there in my hat and <laughs> there and, you, and your beer gets really cold and it's just it's just not an environment that you associate with sweating but on the ice those players are going so fast that sport is brutal and mm-hmm. even the goalkeepers with all their kit on and they're so they're, they're, if they're not moving, they're doing like eccentric muscle contractions the whole time, sort of squatting down, and and they sweat so much, and mm. you know that's all to do with like metabolic rate. Really, it's just to do with the amount of heat they're producing and the fact they can't evaporate that sweat off very easily to the environment, so they they sweat a lot. So yeah, there's been, I think wow. it's 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 like right across the board. And one of the really interesting ones I've, I've worked with once was a lady who approached us at a seminar that I gave in Memphis in Tennessee. And she said, this is, she said, this is going to be an unusual one for you, but like I've come to your seminar about sweat because I don't sweat really don't sweat hardly at all. And she said, I have huge problems in, she was doing triathlons, doing Ironman triathlons. So I just, 
I have to stop because I literally like boil over, I overheat and I've keeled over and passed out and things like that. And that's because obviously sweating is like a really efficient way of cooling the body. And for whatever reason, her body was just not good at sweating. And she didn't seem to lay claim to have any medical condition. I think it was just the way she was. She I've never sweated. I was a kid. I didn't really sweat. And then like, the, the, the most she got a little bit damp and so what we had her doing in the end was like just tipping lots of water over herself on the bike to kind of artificially sweat yeah. whilst yeah. it was never going to get her to a level of performance that was probably as good as for for a person who could sweat more efficiently it, mm. it had a slight result so i've kind of seen I, I don't think i've definitely not seen it all but i've seen some interesting cases over the years oh, Sounds like you've uh, you've experienced a wide wide scope of different cases, different sports. It's uh, it's super interesting that such like a small section like hydration has for yourself and precision hydration led to all of these different interactions with, like you said, superstar athletes to normal people doing um, triathlon events or running events, um, and given that scope to everything, uh, so that's pretty amazing. Um, where can people like follow this crazy journey of precision hydration where is the best wet place for them to connect with you guys is it on the website instagram where can they find this information yeah it, we're definitely very web-based company we we're um we're on precisionhydration.com we're at precision hydration on facebook and on instagram and at the sweat experts on twitter we, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, we we love to talk to people one to one, and we instigated you know these calls, these one to one video calls with people because in a normal year, in a non yep. global pandemic year, we'd go to a lot of events and talk to a lot of athletes and offer hydration advice and consultations and things, and we couldn't last year, so we started these video calls, and they've been so popular that we just kind of carried them on, and so mm-hmm. hit the website or um, if you have show notes, to this I can send you a link to to put in and. Yeah, um, sure. people click that and just you know book a call with us if you want and just chew, chew the fat about ask us questions about hydration our blog is pretty well populated on the website and easy to find um yeah, yeah and, and if you just want to email us the the, the old way hello at precisionhydration.com is the one excellent well definitely uh follow precision hydration follow this crazy journey and this company um making really good things happen and um you guys at Precision Hydration have been really kind to uh, give us a code to give to the listeners as well so they can uh, buy themselves some hydration. Now, uh, what's that code, Andy? That was um, multi15, so M-U-L-T-I and then the number 15. And that will get you 15% off if you, want to, if you want to try any of our products. So, yeah, feel free to use that. Cool. We will pop that in the show notes as well, so you can check that out there. And we'll ping it out on our uh, social media so people can have a little... Uh, little look at that and uh, check out the website and see some of the, uh, the different range of products that they can use. But um, Andy, thank you for the time. It's been great to chat to you this evening. Um, obviously stay safe, you and the family and uh, keep, keep up the great work you're doing with precision hydration. It's, uh, it's really good to see a company from Dorset doing so well. Yeah. Thank you. No, always, always great to chat Luke and um, yeah, very good luck with prep for Weymouth. And if I or we can help, <laughs> In any, in any way, you know where to find us. Yeah, I might ask for more tips. <laughs> Go for it. Cheers, man. Thanks, bye-bye.